We're going to continue this morning uh, talking about uh, this Christian conflict, uh, the battle that is within and the battle that we go through. Uh, last week we were talking a bit about the, the sword of the spirit and, uh, you know, the main intent behind what God uses the word of God for. Uh, and if you will turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, uh, we're going to take a look a little bit here at one of the elements that is mentioned over in Ephesians chapter six. Uh, but before we start talking about the remaining parts of that, uh, uh, armor of God, such as the helmet of salvation and the loins girt about with truth and uh, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and breastplate of righteousness, uh, we want to start talking about prayer first, which is that element of uh, the the Christian, if you will, that is the, the attitude, the morale of them, uh, how things are put together. And as I've said before, you can have all of the best equipment in the world, but if a soldier's morale is not in the fight, if the soldier is not communicating with command, if the soldier is not earnestly desiring to please those that have called him to be a soldier, then the end result is you're going to have a, 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 a battle that is lost. You're going to have a, a, a conflict that is going to be very one-sided. <clears throat> And in Hebrew chapter 13, and in verse 20, it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Christ Jesus, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I like to start with this mentality when we start talking about the equipment and what we've received from God. Specifically, when we start talking about the mindset of prayer. Because it makes it very clear here in Scripture that God has given us what we need to accomplish His will. God's will is not something that is out of reach of any Christian. God's will is not some mysterious thing that you're never going to know whether you're in it or whether you're out of it. Uh, it's very clear from Scripture whether you're in the will of God or whether you're out of the will of God. And what we find here is he says in verse 21, to make you perfect in every good work to do his will. So he gives us everything that we need specifically for that purpose. Specifically for that purpose. And here we are understanding that, that we have that, as he talks about in another passage in Hebrews, we have that ability to come to the throne of grace boldly and to make our requests known. We have the ability to come to God in prayer. See, many different religions don't have that. Some religions you have to pray through another man to get your prayers heard. Uh, A true Christian doesn't do that. Some say you have to pray to other people, such as either saints or ancestors. And God says that that's not true. You go and you take a look at all of those different religions, and you find you know very clearly things of, of Buddhism and and the Eastern religions. It's all ancestry worship, and you pray to your ancestors to protect you. You pray to your ancestors to give you guidance and direction and power and help. 
And with all due respect, my ancestors can't do anything for me. And he makes it very clear here that this is all done through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory. And that's why we do what we do. It's it, The glory is for him. It's not for us. Everything that we strive to do, that gold, silver, and precious stone, the intent, the motive, the attitude behind it is all for him. It's not for us. It's, it's for his glory. And, and, and I'm pointing this out because I want us to understand a couple of key points about our Christian life. <clears throat> these battles that we fight on a day-to-day basis, these battles are not something that are out of our, our, our reach to win. They're not out of our reach in such a way that we cannot have victory. It all depends on a, several factors. Number one, it depends on whether or not we're going to use the Word of God the way we're supposed to as the armor of God. It's also going to depend on whether we use the Word of God to affect us, to motivate us into prayer, and to lead us into that path that we should be following for righteousness. So what we find here in, in, in Hebrews is very clearly, he says he's given us everything to do his will. Turn over, if you will, to John chapter 16. Excuse me, yeah, John chapter 16. John chapter 16, and in verse 13. It says right here, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth, into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you Things to come. Here he is telling the disciples, he's saying, look, I'm going to make sure I send somebody that is going to speak truth to you. This is why it becomes essential to tune our ears to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, you start talking about the Holy Spirit in a Baptist church and everybody starts thinking Pentecostalism. But let's understand, the Holy Spirit is not limited to the Pentecostal doctrines. The Holy Spirit is not limited to a holy roller, a snake grabber, or whatever else you want to call them, okay? But what he is, is he is our source, our connection with God, our comforter, our truth, our teacher. Everything about him points back to God. So when we begin to realize the importance of the Holy Spirit, it becomes very key that we understand that he's dwelling in us. It becomes very key to understand the leading of it. And it becomes very key to understand how that fruit is is put into our lives and what we do with it. So here we are seeing very clearly that he's saying, I'm going to give you everything you need to be able to fight this fight. I'm going to give you everything you need to be able to fight this fight. So if we go over to Ephesians chapter 6, and we understand that, that, that prayer itself is a gift from God. Prayer itself is a gift from God. In Ephesians chapter 6, if we go to the end of the, the list of uh, the armor of God in verse 18... He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit 
and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And here's where things become important about prayer. Prayer is a critical component of the day-to-day Christian battle. If prayer is not present, and I'm not trying to alliterate, the power of God is not going to be in a Christian's life. They are not accessing what God has given them. And he talks about multiple places where he's given us things and it's just a matter of us asking for them. Now again, we're not asking for riches and glory and houses and cars and boats and planes and whatever else it may be. But we're talking about the things that are necessary from God to get through the Christian battle. To get that mindset that is fixed upon Christ. So here we are looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, and it becomes a very, if you will, a plea similar to what Christ said in Matthew 26. And we'll look at that in just a minute. But here Paul is saying that it is a matter of praying always. And we know exactly what that's talking about because he reiterates it in similar fashion to the Thessalonians. So this is not something that is just a, a, if you will, uh, a one-off verse. This is something that you find throughout Scripture. In the Psalms, the psalmists and David were calling to say, we need to be in prayer, uh, you know, uh, uh, morning, midday, and night. We need to be in prayer as we wake up. We need to be prayer throughout the day. We need to be prayer when we lay our heads down to sleep. Prayer is a constant thing. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. So we begin to understand the necessity behind it. The necessity behind it is a constant communication. And here we find very clearly he's saying that as a Christian, this is how we stand. Praying always. Praying always. Our individual Christian lives and the battles that we face with temptation and trials, afflictions, and things that are that come about, whatever may be there, whatever things that exist, even in, including those things in where uh, we are in, 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 in blessings and in, in riches of Christ, I will tell you this, one key thing that we always need to remember is that there must be the constant act of prayer. When prayer is not present, we cannot have victory. When prayer is not present, we cannot overcome. When prayer is not present, we have no ability. We may have the armor, but the armor does no good if prayer is absent. So we understand the importance behind what God is saying here, praying always with all prayer and supplication. And he makes it very clear of how it's to be done in the spirit. In the spirit. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But it, it, it has to be that way. This is what the, the, the believer has to have to be able to stand, as he talks about in, in, in verse, uh, uh, verse 11, to stand against the wiles of the devil. To fight those principalities, uh, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. And he says there, he says that, wherefore, take unto you, in verse 13, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. 
Now, while he makes it clear that standing is, is firmly connected to the things of truth, all of these are necessary in order to stand in the battle, in the fight. Prayer being a critical component of it. Prayer being a critical component. Turn over, if you will, to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. See a couple of passages here as we go through and think about this process of, of, of battling things in this Christian life, going through difficult times, going through various different issues. And in Matthew chapter 26, in verse 41, here he is at the garden. And what is he telling them in the garden as he's getting ready to go through the worst thing that anyone has ever gone through in this earth? No one has suffered like Christ. No one has gone to the degree that Christ has gone. So here he says in verse uh, uh, 40, he says, And he cometh unto the, the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What could you not watch with me one hour? And he wasn't asking for 24 hours. He was asking for one. Peter could do whatever he wanted in the other 23, but he was just asking for one hour. And he says here, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And here becomes this battle that we've already been talking about, walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Those things that seem to be at odds with one another, the works of the flesh in Galatians 5 and the works of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit specifically. And here we find, he says in similar fashion, he's like, our spirit may be willing and wanting to do this, but our flesh is what, where we're fighting this battle. So in order to overcome that fleshly battle, there has to be a watching, and as he says here, a praying. So what we enter into is into this watching mode. This becomes very critical. Whenever a soldier is given the task of going out and doing recon, their specific goal is to surveil what is out there, to gather knowledge of the enemy troops, to gather knowledge of their, their, their ability, their capability, the equipment they have, where they are, what they're doing, all of those things that are necessary so that the battle can take place. And when that soldier is on recon, his whole purpose is to go back and say, this is what is needed. So in the spiritual life, where according to Ephesians 5, we're walking circumspectly in this world. We're watching all around us in a 360 degree mentality, if you will, in a, in a spherical sense. He says very clearly, Christ says, we are to watch. And he just upbraided them for falling asleep. So this is what we begin to watch for. We watch for weaknesses within the flesh. In this specific passage, he says, you need to watch for those things. You need to watch for where you were weak. Most of us are fully aware of the what, what gets us, right? Most of us are fully aware of where things come into our life and what waylays us, what drags us down, 
what takes us away from Christ, and what brings sin into our life. So if we're in that point and we're in that area where very clearly we see there is a weakness and we are watching out for it, then we know exactly what to do when that time comes. And instead of what God says about, you know, going out there and, if you will, slaying a dragon in your life or slaying a giant, what he says to do with that situation is you watch out for it, and the next thing that you do is you pray about it. You know how hard it is to sin while you're praying? It's tough. It's tough. Now, look, I'm not saying it's not possible, you know, that that's an impossible thing. I I know of people that have done that. Perfect example is what we find over there with the Pharisee who is praying to God. I thank God that I'm not like that, 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 that publican over there, that sinner. Well, he was sitting in the prayer. So we have to be careful about our prayers. We have to watch our prayers and what we say. But very clearly, when that temptation begins to come, the very first thing that we want to do is we want to address it in prayer. Lord, you know this is the area where I am weak. Lord, you know this is an area of temptation for me. Lord, search me and try me. Lord, draw me near to you. Lord, lead me and guide me. Direct me. But again, at the same time, don't put it all on God to do that work. You yourself have to go and say, I'm going to make these decisions. I'm going to vow a vow that I'm going to follow these things. I mean, again, you go over to to, to an area over, say, let's uh, just Psalm chapter 56, where it talks about uh, uh, when I am afraid, I will trust in, in him, Right? So we understand that concept, and what we find from that is throughout all of those things, we find that 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 fear comes in, and his choice and his decision is to do that, and it actually says that he's going to make vows to do that. He's going to vow to do those things. And in order to, to be, if you will, free from that fear of man... Throughout that whole passage, he is found in God. In God, in him. that, 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 That phrase repeats throughout Psalm 56. So we very clearly begin to see here that this is the necessity of what we need to do in our Christian life, is pray. Turn over to, to Job chapter, or not Job, Jude. Jude. Uh, and, uh, we're gonna take a look at verse one. <clears throat> now, now here he is, and, and this is a Jude making sure something is is, is very evident about um, who he is. It says in verse one, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and the brother. James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus and called. So here he is, he's addressing believers. He's establishing that there's a connection that's there. And I want us to see exactly how he's telling these believers 
to pray. Jump down to verse 20. And he says, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, there's a lot of things that are here. Where he's talking about building up, he's talking about praying, he's talking about keeping, and he's talking about looking. And then in verse 22, he talks about making a difference. But what we find here is that in order to do the keeping of ourselves in the love of God, as part of the building up process of growing in Christ, there is praying involved in verse 20. Prayer. But he makes it very clear of how it's done. Just as Paul talked about over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, praying, what, in the Spirit. Here again, we find in the Holy Ghost. This becomes necessary. And, and I want to identify this because James talks about what it means to pray in the flesh. So keep that in mind and turn over to the book of James. Go over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, he addresses why some prayers aren't getting answered. And in James chapter 4, he says uh, from uh, verse 1, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and ye receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So, you know, here's what he's saying. That's prayer in the flesh. That's prayer in the flesh. Versus prayer in the spirit. I've had people come up to me and, and, uh, maybe in a counseling session or, or, or just talking in general and they'll say things about, well, you know, I just, I don't think God answers prayer. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I could sit, I could sit you down for the next five hours and talk about how God answered prayer in my life. So exactly what are you talking about? Give me a specific that you don't think God answered prayer. Well, I prayed about this uh, situation and, and God didn't do anything. And I'll always get that general response. And I'll say, well, how did you pray? If you don't mind me asking, I know that's between you and God, but just uh, humor me here. How did you pray? Well, I prayed that God would stop me from doing something. I'm like, well, you got the wrong prayer. That's not how it works. God's not going to come down and grab a hold of your hand and prevent you from grabbing what you're not supposed to grab. He's not going to put a blinder in front of your eyes and prevent you from looking what you're not supposed to be looking at. He's not going to cripple you so you can't walk where you're going to walk. We begin to understand some concepts of what God's teaching us. He wants us to make a decision. And when we commit to that decision, and we vow and purpose for that decision, then comes in that power, then comes in the prayer, and then comes all those things. 
But, but again, people want that because they want an immediate relief. And here's the big difference in a Christian life. Here's the big difference, if you will see, in people's prayer life. Some people will pray for immediate relief versus praying for change that will negate what is causing that issue. There's a big difference. You break your arm. You go home and you take some Tylenol. You find Tylenol soon does not seem to be effective. You got something left over from other things. You start trying to take other things that are maybe more powerful. It doesn't work. And finally you go to the doctor and you say, well, I keep taking these pills and nothing's happening. He's like, well, why? What's going on? On my arm. It hurts. He looks at the arm. He goes, well, it's broken. It's going to continue to hurt until we fix it. Well, I just want the pain to go away. I just want immediate relief. And he's like, it doesn't work that way, dude. we got to put this thing back together. There has to be an addressing of the source of the problem. So people often pray, if you will, to consume it upon their lusts because they just simply want immediate relief. They don't want God to work in their life. That's part of the problem. If we have a shallow prayer life like that, we are not praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means that you're praying that the Holy Spirit of God is going to come in and He's going to convict. That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is He comes in and He convicts, right? He shows you where you're wrong. That's why people don't like conviction. Because it often comes, doesn't it? Because, I mean, let's just admit it. We've been wrong before, right? Let's not be one of those people that thinks that we were wrong once or, but come to find out we were just mistaken or something like that, you know, trying to, trying to do away with the accountability part. And that's a huge thing is when we don't realize that. So when we're praying in the spirit, we are praying that God will show us what we need To be corrected in. Not just the continuing prayer of of Lord, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. But a Lord, show me why this is not stopping. Show me why I'm having a problem here. Show me where that temptation is. Show me where I am weak. Open my eyes that I may see. That is a prayer of the Spirit. And since we're in James, go over to James chapter 5. <clears throat> James chapter 5. <clears throat> and I like this first part here in verse 13. He says this. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. This is one of the most important parts. We talk about emotions, and we talk about how every emotion is geared to draw us to the Lord. Right? We know that godly sorrow worketh repentance, 
And we know very clearly, when I am afraid, I will trust in him. So we see right there, we're very, you know, we're seeing, we need to draw near to the Lord. The same thing is true with the affliction. When we start going through affliction, and whether there's fear involved in the affliction, as we see in the Psalms, or there's sadness that's involved, which we again see in the Psalms, the key thing that we see from this is, is very clearly, that is the time that we should be in prayer. Most people are planning to how to get rid of the affliction versus beginning with prayer. They're plotting and to see how can I, how can I move this? How can I get rid of this? How can I, what do, what do I need to do? How can I get this to stop without ever asking and saying, Lord, show me wherein I am failing. Teach me. Now, he's, we already read Hebrews 13 and John 16, where he says he's going to give us what we need to see that. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. You know why people don't like to have the Holy Spirit involved in their life? Not only because he's con- he, he, he can be convicting, but also because he has a tendency to tell the truth. This is why people resort to themselves to, 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 if you will, bolster themselves with a self-confidence. Why? Because we deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. I'm fine. No, we're not. It's but a flesh wound. As our arms laying on the ground. You understand what I'm saying is, is we, 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 we try to, if you will, minimize the problem. The Holy Spirit magnifies your problems. He shows you where it's at. He drags out the electron microscope and you say, says, you see that speck right there? Yeah, that's not supposed to be there. I got to get rid of that speck? Yep. Because that's what causes the problem. That's what causes the problem. If you go over to Luke chapter uh, 18 and verse 1, Jesus Christ, he begins to talk about parables. And specifically in this parable, as he, he's going to move into it here, in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, he says, it says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. <clears throat> you know what we see here? Lack of prayer leads to fainting spells. You ever faint? It's not a fun thing. Whether you're passing out because of uh, whatever it is, it, 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 it is not a pleasant experience when you realize you have no control over your body. And your body begins to do whatever the body is going to do. And you go down like a rag doll and, and you're just sitting there going, well, this is not good. <laughs> if you retain that amount of consciousness. But therein lies the issue. 
Would we faint when we should be standing? The main reason is a lack of prayer. The attitude of the Christian soldier of prayer is not present in that, that, that person's life. So what we have to have is we have to have that growth. We have to be able to say, well, I don't want to faint constantly. I want to stand as God has called me to do. Then pray. Then pray. Specifically, pray in the Spirit. Don't heap it upon our lusts and our flesh and things of that nature, but pray specifically with that. And here's something I want to show you. I want you to turn over to the book of Revelations. I want you to see a couple of passages just to point out something. In Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, and uh, we're talking about some things that John is seeing in the throne room. And I want to point something out here as he's going through, and he's looking at all these beasts in verse... uh, uh, six, and he sees the lamb that, uh, as it had been slain, and he sees, uh, uh, um, uh, so, some things with a book going on. And, uh, if you go down there to, uh, verse eight, it says, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb. That lamb is very clear who that is. That is Lord Jesus Christ. Having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. This is where everybody gets this idea that when you get to heaven, you get a harp. These four and twenty, uh, these twenty-four elders, they got crowns, they got harps. But here's an interesting thing: they have golden vials full of odors. Which are the prayers of the saints. Do you ever think about that? God collects your prayers, puts them in a vial, and they smell good. I'll be the first to tell you, I probably let off some prayers that stink. But isn't it interesting how God does this? God is very much a collector, isn't he? He collects our tears. He, he collects our, 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 our prayers. He knows the hairs that are on our head. I mean, that talks about the immense power of who God is. And as you go over to, to, to chapter 8 in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, a couple of pages over, and we see here um, some things that happen. And, uh, and, and it says here uh, in verse 2, And I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, and another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, And there was given him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up to before God out of the angel's hand. That's how God views them. 
That's how God views them. That's why, you know, you, you see those people, they often have those incense lit in, in, in these other religions. Part of that is because they think that's the prayer. I wonder where they got that idea from. These aren't, only, these aren't just the only references about this type of stuff. But what I want to point out is, is that God makes it known to us that the prayers of the saints, and if you are saved, born again, child of God, I understand you may not be living like one, if that's the case. If that is the case, you need to change. But you also need to understand this. You're a saint. And those prayers that you pray to God are precious. They're precious to Him. So when we begin to realize that prayer of the saints is precious to God, and the prayer of the saints is how we, if you will, go about getting the power that we need and communicating those things that we need in our life, as well as praying for others in their spiritual battle. We go back over there to, to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, that praying was for other people. It wasn't just to heap upon our own lusts. If your prayer life is one-sided, Lord, give me, 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 you don't understand prayer. Prayer, as he says, is about others. Because he says in verse 18 of Ephesians 6, it says, uh, 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 with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. All saints. It means every person that you see here that is trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you should be praying for them. You should be praying for them. Consistently. Why? Because they're going through the same battles you're going through. And you know what? You want them praying for you. Oh, I covet prayer. I cover people praying for me. Absolutely. You bet your bottom dollar, I will say, I want, I want people to pray for me. But I also know that I need to pray for others. I need to pray for all of you. I need to pray for other believers that I know, that I have a, 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 an acquaintance with or a friendship with. But we... You know, in today's day and age, prayer is just not a priority, is it? Prayer is, Lord bless this food, amen. That's not prayer. You know what we need to do is we need to take a look at what we're doing. Who are we praying for? You know, when you enter into prayer, it should be about thanksgiving. It should be about praise, about what God's doing for you and what God's done for you and what God's doing in other people's lives and praying that God will continue to do it in their lives as well. It's not that a selfish mentality. 
And those are, are, are odors that are pleasant to the Lord. That's what he likes to smell with that prayer. When you're on your knees and you're praying for someone else. When you're weeping in prayer for someone else. That's what God likes to see. But here's part of the issue. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. The enemy likes to disrupt the communication lines. Number one, he doesn't want you to believe in God's word at all. He doesn't want you reading God's word at all, because if you do that, then you're liable to obey it. He doesn't want you obeying it. devil doesn't want you obeying it. Let's put it this way. Sometimes your flesh doesn't want you to obey it. So the communication line is going to be disrupted. And it's not just going to be disrupted in one way. It's going to be disrupted in both ways. Because there's a send and a receive. And you will try to block the send. When we try to send something, when we are talking to God, in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and in verse, uh, uh, let's go down to verse 45 here. Here he is talking to this next generation. And what does he say here? <clears throat> talking about what had gone on. He says, and you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not hearken unto your voice nor give ear to you. Well, why was that? Because they were in sin. Because they didn't choose the things of God. The nation of Israel rebelled. Their hearts were hard. As he said, they were a stiff-necked people. Hard-hearted. Stubborn. Rebellious. So God said, you know what, I'm not going to hear them. If you have rebellion in your life, if you're stubborn... If you have iniquity, your prayers are going to get hindered. Your prayers are going to get hindered. Turn over to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 14. First Samuel chapter 14. <clears throat> Here's King Saul asking a question. Verse 37. It says, And Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered him not that day. God stopped talking to Saul. Why? Because Saul wasn't listening. There's nothing that's more irritating than being in a conversation where somebody isn't listening to you. And God doesn't take it lightly either. So if somebody is just plain flat not listening, it'll hinder your prayer. If you're not listening to God, it'll hinder your prayer. If you're not reading your Bible, it'll hinder your prayer. If you're not listening to the Word of God preached, as He talks about, you're... Your prayer is going to get hindered. 
It's important to understand that. What blocks the communication? Turn to chapter 28 of 1 Samuel. Chapter 28. <clears throat> 28 and verse 6. <clears throat> Here again. And when Saul inquired of, uh, of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. So what did he do? He went to a witch. He was going to get an answer one way or another. But going to a witch was going to be one that he was going to conjure up. It wasn't something that was of God. But God intercepted it. Samuel came. And Samuel was a little less than pleased with that whole incident. Could you imagine being Samuel? There you are in Abraham's bosom. Sitting down and he's just having a good old time. He's talking to Abraham and so on and so forth. And up comes Noah. Hey, Samuel, I, I really hate to tell you this, but um, you got a phone call. <laughs> Samuel's like, what? What do you mean? Uh, there's this some guy by the name of Saul, and he's looking for you. Can you go? He's bugging us. Can you go, go, go talk to him? Samuel was less than pleased with that. By, based off of Samuel's response. That wasn't, that wasn't the right thing to do. But what we find here is God wasn't talking to Saul. Why? Because he had harbored iniquity in his heart. He had harbored bitterness in his heart towards David. He had harbored bitterness in his heart towards God. He would refuse to hearken unto the Lord. And that's why God wouldn't answer him. Those things will hinder your prayer. Turn to Psalm 66. A, a fairly familiar passage in Psalm 66 and verse 18. <clears throat> Psalm 66 and verse 18. He says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know, a lot of times people will do that. They'll pray, and they'll pray, and they'll pray, and they'll pray, but they're not willing to get rid of the sin that's in their life that's causing the hindrance. Or they'll pray and pray and pray to, to have a sin removed. But the problem is, is that they're, they're regarding that sin. They're keeping that sin, if you will, in their life. It's a problem. It's a problem. Turn over to Psalm chapter, or excuse me, not Psalm, Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21. We'll close with this. Proverbs chapter 21, in verse 13, it says, Whoso stoppeth his ear at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, shall not, but shall not be heard. I'll tell you this, one of the most important things that every believer needs to understand is if you lack mercy in your Christian life, it will hinder your prayer life. This is why, this is above all, one of the key things. If you want God to hear your prayers, you need to seek peace and ensue it. If you're seeking peace, then that means that you seek forgiveness and you're willing to give forgiveness. 
Why? Because forgiveness is part of the mercy process. If you're unwilling to be merciful, you are an unfaithful servant, as he pointed out, with the one that was forgiven much and then went out and put his hand around the throat of somebody else that owed him less and threatened. God doesn't take kindly to that. What God wants to see is mercy. Why? Because it's what he extended to us when we were very undeserving. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So we understand very clearly that this process of prayer is important. That's why it has to be protected. That's why we need to make sure nothing is coming in. That's why, first and foremost, Jesus Christ said to the disciples, watch and pray. Watch to make sure nothing is going to influence your prayers. Watch to make sure nothing is going to prevent your prayers. Watch for the purpose of praying in the Spirit for others, for the things of God, not for the things of the flesh. Prayer becomes a critical part of the Christian's warfare and attitude in this conflict. Next week, we'll pick up with some of the other uh, issues, talk a little bit more about faith, and talk about how that becomes an important key critical element. But uh, let's go ahead and close and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for all that you've given us. Thank you again for this time that we have with you. And Lord, again, I just pray that we would understand these things about prayer, that, Lord, we would use it to glorify you, to praise you, to honor you by seeking to your will and seeking to please you with what we do. Pray, Lord, that we would continue to do that this morning as we go to our 11 o'clock service. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.